Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Tomorrow in our Good Friday services, we'll read the Passion narratives. At noon, we'll be reading the Passion according to Matthew. At 6.30 p.m., we'll be reading the Passion according to John. Our reading for this evening from John 13, the foot washing, I think serves as kind of a vestibule or an entryway into the Passion narrative. The foot washing is really an illustration of what our Lord Jesus will do tomorrow. Tomorrow, the servant of the Lord goes to the cross in order to forgive the sins of the world. And in doing this, I think Jesus redefines God for us, and he redefines what true religion is really all about. I begin by reading at the end of our lesson the last two verses from John 13 in our reading, verse 34, the words of our Lord, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I can recall being a student at Purdue and being involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew. And one of the songs we often sang was, they will know we are Christians by our love. It's a nice song, but it really begs the question, love for whom? They will not know that we're Jesus' disciples by our love for God. That's not what our Lord says. The world will not know that we're his disciples by our love for him. Rather, they will know whose we are. They will know we are his disciples by our love for one another. Roman numeral one, part A in the outline. Church love, church love is a vital part of world mission according to Frederick Bruner. Now, I would have to say that among professing Christians today, sometimes I detect very little love for the church. People will say things like this. Well, you know, Pastor, I love Jesus. It's just his people I have a few problems with. Well, I understand. As we've said before, 
Jesus did not call perfect people to follow him, did he? He, fall, he called people, sinful people like you and like me. But part B, a quote from Cyprian, the early church father, no one can love the head, that is Christ, and hate the body, meaning the church, the people of God. Jesus connects himself to us. Particular people at a particular address, it's not just this address, but addresses around the world where people gather, Christ connects himself to them. That's where our Lord is to be found, among his people. Where two or more gather in my name, Jesus said, there I am in their midst. And part C, whoever does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now, those are not my words. Those are the words of the Apostle John. And when you hear those words, you might feel a bit guilty. I know I do. I haven't always loved my brothers and sisters as God calls me to do. I wonder if that's true of you as well. You know, sometimes there's a real gap between what God expects of us and what Jesus expects of us in this commandment and our performance. And as I often say, I don't even live up to my own expectations of me, let alone God's expectations of me. So there's this gap, you see, between what God expects and my performance and yours. And so the question is, how do we close that gap? And the answer has to be and can only be Jesus. We cannot overcome that distance, but Jesus can and he does. And that brings us to Roman numeral two, Christ's lofty nature and his extreme humility. Letter A, he possesses all divine authority, and that's in verse three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, you see, he has all the authority of God. Now he possessed that from all eternity as the eternal Son of God. But as the God-man, he is now given all of that authority. All the authority of God is his. But he employs it, letter A, not in a domineering way, but he employs it to serve. As Jesus said in Matthew 20, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Letter B. This is without parallel in antiquity, in, in the ancient world. You find no other examples at all. There's no other examples of a person of superior status voluntarily washing the feet of another 
of inferior status doesn't happen. You don't see it anywhere except in the person of Jesus Christ. And that, letter B, is an assault on our assumptions about God himself. The idea that God himself, not just a person of high standing, but God himself would do this for sinners really overturns our assumptions about who God is and how he works. It really subverts our ideas about class and hierarchy. Number one, God is majestic, he's holy, he dwells in unapproachable light. All major world religions affirm that. We affirm that. But my question is, can those qualities, can those attributes of God save sinners? We would say, evidently not. Otherwise, there would be no need for God to come to us in lowliness and in weakness as he does crucified on the cross. God is indeed transcendent. He is distant and majestic. But that will not save sinners like you and me. No, only the God who humbles himself and becomes obedient unto death, even death on a cross, that is the God who saves sinful human beings. Number two, proud man would have perished eternally had he not been found by the lowliness of God. You see, God saves sinners by submitting himself to the punishment that you and I deserve. And we would say, this side of heaven, that is the glory of God. God crucified for us is like a piece of welder's glass through which we can behold the glory of God today and bear it. That's what we can see of God. Now we see through a glass darkly, but one day we'll see that glory face to face, but that day is not yet. Today, the God for us is the God who's crucified for us at Calvary. Number three, Christ's foot washing illustrates his cross. It illustrates his cross, number one, we read in verse 1 that Jesus loved them to the end. He's talking about the end of his life, which will occur on Good Friday. And then in verse 4, he laid down or laid aside his outer garments and he takes up another garment, a towel garment. This is the very language he uses to describe his own death in John chapter 10, where he describes himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life and takes it up again. He has authority to lay it down. He has authority to take it up. And then in verse 33, he alludes to his crucifixion again in the context of this foot washing where he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he's referring there to the cross. This foot washing also illustrates our baptism. In verse 10, 
our Lord says this. He says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. That's a reference to baptism where, where the Lord himself washes away our sins. Baptism, as we like to say biblically, is not something we do for God. It's something God does for us. As Peter said in Acts 2, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And yet, even though these men have been bathed, they've been baptized, they're clean, yet they sin daily. And they need that promise of forgiveness. They need those words of forgiveness spoken to them again and again and again. And this is what the foot washing symbolizes as well. Christ's continual cleansing of his disciples. We sin often. We can't hear those words of forgiveness too often to know that God still loves us. He still forgives us. Letter C, Jesus said, I am among you as the one, the one who serves. And that's why we call every one of our Sunday morning gatherings divine service. Yes, we serve God with our prayers, our praises, our offerings, but that's not really what's going on primarily. What's going on is the Lord's service to us. That's the divine service. I am among you as one, the one who serves, Jesus said. You know, our Lord graciously accepts our gifts on the basis of our faith in him. He accepts whatever we give. Graciously, he does so. But you know, the bottom line is this. Jesus does really, he does not need what we have to give to him. We need what he has to give to us. That's why in the account of Mary and Martha in Luke 10, you know, Martha's busy in the kitchen doing a good work, by the way. She's preparing the meal for the disciples and for our Lord. And being busy as she is, she looks askance at both the Lord and Mary, her sister, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's upset with her sister. Why? Well, her sister is simply sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving his words, receiving what he has to give to her. You see, Mary understands that Jesus really doesn't need what she has to give to him. She needs what he has to give to her. And my friends, it's that good news that redefines the person of God for us as, as the one who humbles himself and comes into our midst to serve us in a way that no one else can. Our salvation depends on that. And that is how our gracious God desires to be known among us all. And it redefines religion for us as well. True religion is not primarily what we do for God. It's what God does for us in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And so, Roman numeral three, we show Christ's love, not by a sinless life, 
That's impossible for us this side of heaven. But a life that is forgiven and forgiving. I cannot forgive you or anyone else unless I first recall how much I've offended God and he's already forgiven me. It's that grace, it's that free forgiveness given to me that enables me to be a good steward of the grace of God and to forgive you and any offender. And my friends, the world will know that we're Christians not by posing as righteous people who need no forgiveness. The world will know we are Christians not by pointing out the sins of others. Rather, the world will know we belong to Jesus by confessing, first of all, our own sins, because that demonstrates our complete dependence upon him. And also, they will know we are his by passing on that forgiveness that we've received, passing it on to one another. That's the love that Jesus commands us to show, to forgive as we have been forgiven. When Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he symbolically removes their sins in the same way that you and I are to symbolically remove sins. The foot washing is not a command in itself. It's simply an example of love lived out. And it illustrates the forgiveness that we're to share with one another freely as we've received it from the Lord. My friends, this is our God, the one who wraps the sky with clouds, wraps a towel around himself today. The one who pours water into the lakes and the streams, pours water in a basin today. And the one before whom heaven and earth will bow, he himself kneels before his disciples and washes their feet, symbolizing what he will do tomorrow on the cross. This is our God. This is the God of Holy Scripture. This is true religion. It is religion and God redefined for us all. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.